Kemping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Latitude and the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support and we will hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu slash EMBA healthcare. In this episode, Richard Citrin provides valuable career advice and his thoughts on HR trends, assessment tools, diversity and inclusion, equity, and belonging. Here again, and excited to have you on uh, season two of the P4 podcast. So thanks Thank for joining you, us. Yeah. Oh, I am so I am so glad to be here and kicking off season two. What could be better than that? <laughs> now that now uh, that the concept's been tested, it's proven. Now we're ready to start bringing in season two, folks. So congratulations on this. Well, congratulations on, on getting selected. What we learned from season one is we want to be efficient with our time so that people continue to listen and appreciate these. So, you know, kind of my take on, you know, in engaging and interacting and meeting you over the last two years now has mm-hmm. been, okay, I, I know he's I know he's a PhD and I know he's gone to some, uh, you know, good schools for, for schooling. And then he also went to that Ohio State University. Um, so, we, we, you know, not everybody can be perfect. That's fine. Uh, uh. But what I really learned is that you walk the walk and talk the talk. And whenever you present and connect and share your story with others, you do it from a perspective of not only have I learned this academically, not only have I talked about this and consulted, but I've seen this, right? And I know what works and I have these stories to back it up. So as we dig into this today, that's the part that, and I have pictures that I took from the last conference on my phone that I still nice. go back and reference from that nine blocker you and, you and Michael talked about. So I just wanted to share that with you from the start of like- Thanks, Pete. Along, I appreciate talk, that. Talk. Thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate your seeing that. And, and that's great validation for me because that is how I try to live my life and do my work. So well, it, tell it, us a little bit more about, Yeah, tell us a little bit more about this life and this work. Where'd you start oh. and how'd you get to where you are today? Well, you know, let me just say we're we're approaching Valentine's Day here, so I just want to say first of all that relationships and family is is critical for me. You know, I talked to my brother recently, and he saw a TV show where the Smothers Brothers were on. These were old time comedians who did shows in the '70s and '80s, and they were always very very close, and they're still close today. And my brother called me up. I have two other brothers, and they said, "Hey, I was watching the Smothers Brothers, and I have to tell you, I feel so good about our relationship." You know, we talk every week, we check in, we get together. Uh, it's just really special. So, you know, brother, father, husband, grandfather, son, when my parents were alive, uh, these family relationships, these are what it's about. This is what's really important. So that's really who I am. I love spoiling the grandkids. And, and you know what? I love spoiling the kids too, for that matter. So uh, I just feel very blessed to have family and friends and colleagues uh, in my life. That's really what what the important thing is. And I've had an amazing career. Uh, I mean, I started a business. I, I was, I'm trained as a psychologist. I have my PhD from the University of Nebraska. 
Uh, I, I taught at Texas Christian University. I built a very large clinical and consulting practice that I sold uh, to a national healthcare company. I did that along with my wife. That company was eventually bought by Humana. I was part of that merger and acquisition activity. So I kind of gained those skills as well. Then I got into corporate healthcare and became a corporate uh, healthcare executive. I was recruited here to UPMC and I worked in the insurance services division, not doing clinical work, but doing more product integration work. I stayed at UPMC for five years, Pete. And then I was in, in 2010, I was part of a reduction in force. So I lost my job. Can't imagine what it's like to have a, a tremendously successful career. And even though I wasn't fired, still feels like I was fired. And of course, it was you know, very difficult to deal with. And I do a lot of career development work with people. And I had to apply that same principle to me. Uh, and fortunately, I got into my work now, which is really kind of returning to my roots of, of consulting uh, with people. And now I do uh, consulting and business advising uh, with corporations, family businesses, family offices, nonprofits, philanthropic organizations, speaking. And primarily my work is around leadership, leadership development, strategy work, and also around how to create healthy workplaces. My focus on resilience and addressing stress in a different way than what we've typically done it have really led me down that path. So it's really been fun. And, and now I feel like my career is culminating and I'm using all these skills together. Wow. I feel like, actually, I know I don't feel uh, every single time that we talk, I learn something more about you. So I remember the move to to Pittsburgh and, and UPMC, and gosh, they they missed out. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for them, right? In 2010, uh, but I forgot that you were a professor at TCU. And then, holy smokes, the merger and acquisition opportunity—it's it's like you've done it all. And I can only imagine from the the cultural changes, right, from where you were to where you're going. And it makes a lot of sense. Strategy-driven leadership, one of your three books, how all these, and it, again, what we said earlier, right, the lived experiences, and you've been there, you've done that, talking from the point of not just reading it, but lived it. So, uh, wow, double wow. Uh, <laughs> those two. Okay. Yeah, the, the experiences are really, you know, the experiences, you could do all the academic learning you want to. I mean, I've got degrees out the wazoo, and they're, they're helpful earlier in my life. And it's really about getting the experiences. That's what really sets successful leaders and really professionals and, and everybody apart from, uh, from, from the ordinary people, the average people, is that you use these experiences, you learn from them, and you grow from them. And you challenge yourself. Yeah, amen to that. All right. So as you're going through these different experiences, you've seen uh, kind of what work's been like all around the country. Let's focus in on the last five years. Top trend you've seen in the HR space, people space, last five years, Richard. Yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, you know, kind of leveraging talent, how to best use talent. Uh, you know, we've been, you know, now we will see a shift in talent as we go further into 2023. You know, the last several years have been really a goldmine for, for employees uh, because there's a shortage of employees. As the economy begins to shift, and hopefully we won't go into a serious recession, however, we're going to see people who are employees who are saying, you know, I'm interested in a job. I lost my job. I got laid off. Not going to be quite as much um, freedom on the part of employees. In other words, employers may get a little bit of the upper hand. Regardless, getting great talent is the big HR issue. 
that's existing right now. That is the one that everybody is focused on. That's the one that people need to do, even if they don't have a talent issue. Because there's only so many good people out there. And how do you get the best people to be working for you so that they can deliver the best results? Yes. I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It's all about how do we attract the right people, engage the right people, and then keep them, right? Retain talent and retain uh, the knowledge as well. So let's say, hey, Richard, you're on the other side of the table. I'm coming in here and I'm asking you for some career advice, right? Maybe it's preparing for a job. Maybe I'm in the job, right? But share some of like, what's the best career advice that you've gotten or heard um, or delivered perhaps? You know, Dave, when my business, our, our business got acquired and we went to work for this healthcare company, I never worked for, I, I had you know, kind of ran the clinic and, and consulting firm. Uh, so I never really worked for anybody before. And when I had my new boss, uh, who was the COO, uh, what he did was he organized a group of his direct reports, which were all the operational people. And twice a month, we would meet in his office for something he called breadcrumbs. I never knew why he called it breadcrumbs, but it was actually attributed to me because I'd always bring a sandwich in and I'd wind up leaving crumbs on his table. <laughs> so he said, Citron, I'm calling it breadcrumbs after you. And what we did is we would talk not just about issues or challenges that we had, but what are the actions we had to take from a behavioral point of view? What do we have to do to manifest leadership, not just think leadership? That was really a very important and significant point for me because it got me thinking that What's really important is how we help people change their behaviors, not necessarily their attitudes. Attitudes will come later. You know, a lot of people in my work use a lot of different assessments, the DISC, uh, the Myers-Briggs, uh, the, the uh, what is it, the PI, the, the predictive index, all of which are good. They're, they're valid statistical assessments. I don't like them and I don't use them. And the reason is because they are personality based. And I don't want people thinking personalities in the workplace. It's informative, it's descriptive, but Pete, if I were to tell you that you're a domineering, uh, controlling leader, uh, you know, what do you do to change that? How do you change that? You know, but if instead I were to say to you, listen, Pete, you know, when you're talking to your team members, one of the things to do is to engage with them and get a little more information from them about what their thinking is. You can still tell them what the decision is, but if you give them a little more opportunity to share their viewpoints, you'll get more information and they'll feel more engaged. That's behavior. I don't have to say, Pete, you're a controlling guy because that, those, are behave, those are personalities that are hard to change and instead behaviors are what we're going to be looking at. So I think that was the best single career advice that I had and I wish I had it earlier in my leadership career uh, to understand that the behaviors of leadership, the behaviors of of collaboration, the behaviors of conflict management are what are really important to drive successful careers for people. All right, well, we're gonna take a tangent and dig a little bit deeper there because I'm, I'm hooked right now. So All on right. the topic of uh, behaviors, you know, where, where can each of us start to look? Because I'm, I'm with you, I've taken the DIS, the PI, Emergenetics, uh, you know, about a half dozen, you know, diff different, and I love that stuff, right? It's so interesting yeah. to learn about me for me, and it, it's reporting on, on what I'm doing. Now you talk about behaviors, and I'm guessing, right, psychologically, there's a little bit of motivation that goes into this. Sure. Where do we get started? Well, from an assessment point of view, the assessment that I do use is uh, strength finders. 
which is a Gallup assessment. Strength Finders is actually among all these different assessments by far, by, by a factor of five, uh, the most widely used business assessment. There's, there's 30 million um, Strength Finder assessments that have been done over the past 25 years. Nothing, nothing comes close to that. Uh, and so what I like about Strength Finders is, first of all, it focuses on what we do well rather than what we do poorly, number one. Number two, it helps us identify the areas where we are use those strengths to help mitigate a weakness of one kind or another. And, and three, it helps us to see where we can complementary work with others who may have skills that we don't do. And because the strength finder behaviors are things like um, um, influencing or, or harmony, achiever, positive, we could, we could think of those and Gallup, in fact, defines them as behaviors. So you can say that, you know, um, uh, responsibility means that you take psychological ownership of something. So you're the one that says to the team, I'm putting together the agenda. That's somebody who demonstrates responsibility. The achiever is the guy who's going to work until eight o'clock tonight to get something done, or maybe just work till five o'clock because uh, she is very efficient uh, and she achieves her goals that just that quickly. So wow. behavior is a good way. And then a lot of HR organizations, Pete, use competency models and competency approaches. Uh, and there's different ones that are out there. Corn Ferry probably has the largest, most well-known one. Uh, and these competencies that are built into organizations and really typically through HR are powerful mechanisms for helping people develop. Unfortunately, they're often used for performance. And so that means they just get reviewed once a year or twice a year, as opposed to being reviewed twice a month in terms of what people are looking at. Because if you think about some of these behaviors that people uh, want to develop and improve on, they don't take a year to develop. You know, so if you if you want to work on collaboration, for example, which is a competency in the Corn Ferry model, or building an effective team, that doesn't take a year to do. In three months, you should start to see your team being a little more effective, fewer conflicts, more collaboration, uh, more meetings that are positive, better outcomes and results, uh, getting stuff done. Uh, those are outcomes from people that are collaborating more effectively, people smiling more when they come out of meetings, meetings that run 10 minutes instead of 50 minutes, all things that are demonstrating the behaviors are different without having to say to somebody, you know, if you just change your personality, it'd be a lot better to work on this because people get defensive when they hear that. Yeah, I, I sure would. Hey, I got a couple of quick fire uh, follow on questions to strength yep. finders. How often should we take that test? You know, it, it, it is fairly stable over time. And because you can develop a strength, um, you, can, you can improve it. You know, I'd say three to five years is sufficient to retake it. What about in a new role? If I go into a new job in between those three to five years, take it then or wait the three to five? Yeah, what you want to do is you want to speak to your manager and ask her if she uses strength finders with the team and have the whole team take it. So then we learn how the team operates as a group, and you can use that as a mechanism for building team effectiveness. Very simple tool, very easy to help people see that. And you give people a report. You know, when I work with people, I give them a report on their individual results, and I meet with them. And then I give a team result, and, and I talk about, and this is where strategy-driven comes into play, how can our strengths help us achieve our business mission? 
our business goals, our business objectives. That's the other piece that happens with personality assessments and all assessments is we think about them just for how are they going to help Pete? The real question isn't how is it going to help Pete? That's a fair question. The real question is how is it going to help Pete to grow Lattice? How is it going to help Pete and his team to grow the business that they're involved with? How is it going to help Liz and her team to make PHRA more effective? That's the, that's the question you want to be asking from the assessment. Wow. Uh, you give me a lot of things to think about, and I do have strategy-driven leadership over here. So thank you again. Thank you uh, for, for 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 the copy of it. Um, yeah, and I want to I want to okay. acknowledge my co-author Michael Couch. Uh, Michael and I have been working, uh, you know, independently but together for ten years. It's a great partnership, and I, I love that dude. He's great. He is. I hey, double double that. Uh, I'd say I like him a lot. I don't know if he'd be okay with me saying that I love him just yet. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, knowing that we dig into the strengths a little bit, I did pull up my, uh, you know, top, top, top 10 and the top five actually are achiever, positivity, competition, activator, and arranger. And whenever I took this three years ago, uh, kind of whenever I was kind of full-time corporate America versus, you know, entrepreneur with latitude, right? Rebranded from last right. to latitude. Um, uh, thank there's you. three that are still the same. So the top five has three overlaps. So whenever you shared that, I was like, yeah. And then the top 10 were still the same, exactly the top. So uh, I wanted to yeah, kind of yeah. say like, very interesting. And I, I love the idea of, you know, using it for our full team and kind of, it's another way to invest in our people, right? The age of employee exactly. choices here. How else can we do that? So very, very cool tip. Uh, well, one other, one other thing yeah. I'd add about strength finders is that there's that all the strengths fit into four categories, relationship building, strategic thinking, executing, getting stuff done and influencing. And so when you look at those top 10, you want to see where your strengths fall, you know, and, and what you described among your five, you've got a couple of, of executing and a couple of influencing. Uh, you know, and that fits for you. I mean, you're you're personable, you're easy to talk to, you're you're a thought leader, uh, you know, and you get stuff done. Uh, so really strong in those. And the thing to keep in mind that even your 34th strength, Pete, you are still competent in that strength. And the example I use is, you know, if you had a boss who walked around and said, you know, in fact, I had a boss who used to look at his people, at all of us, he'd go, you know, why do you think they call it work? Well, I would say his empathy score was maybe 40 as opposed to 70. But most people, almost everybody, even your lowest score, you do competently at the, we'll just put it at the 70th level, the C level for sure. Uh, so we build them from there. Okay. So we're going to positively influence behaviors uh, with you know tools like this and bringing in expert knowledge. Other hot button that's going on in the workplace is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Any other tips that we can use to kind of help our organizations, whether we're just getting started or we have a mature program in place, Richard? Well, I think we have to be careful about how we define uh, you know, a, a company or an organization that's starting off and one that's mature. It was actually an article in the December issue of the Harvard Business Review around the maturity curve for organizations with diversity and inclusion. I encourage uh, your listeners to check that article out because it does help define uh, whether somebody is building awareness or whether they have a more integrated program. And we're gonna build on the same thing we were talking about, which is, and I have a somewhat biased approach around DEI uh, because this issue has been important for me, to me for many years. I do not think we can get away from the tribal instinct of the ethnic mandates that we all exist in. 
Uh, you know, it, it, it happened in Pittsburgh 150 years ago when the Italians settled in one, you know, one area and the Poles settled in another area. People are drawn to their collective, peace, uh, collective people. And unfortunately, that creates a, a kind of tribal instinct. I prefer community, and I think we're working to community. And I think we have to look at and, and kind of honor uh, the, the tribal nature of how people come together, which means that we have conscious and unconscious biases. And I find it for myself to kind of recognize and, again, honor that and not try to fight it. To that end, what I want to, what I'd like to suggest is that we not try to change people's minds and hearts about this. Instead, we focus on the behaviors. And when you look at people who get in trouble for inappropriate actions and behaviors, whether it's, uh, you know, around uh, inappropriate racial comments to make or anti-Semitism or gender uh, statements, it's always about the behavior that they get tagged on. Nobody says, you know, that person was thinking horrible thoughts. We don't know what that person is thinking, but we want to focus on our behavior. So once again, if we can help people to think through what's the appropriate behavior, get people to stop and think, uh, you know, what's going to happen when you're in this situation or how do you want to approach what could be you know, a challenging uh, situation and give it some more forethought and think about the behaviors uh, that people are engaged in. As we improve behaviors, then we begin to shift attitudes. If we try to shift attitudes, uh, it's much harder because people's uh, biases just get in the way and and um, uh, keep us from, from those growth opportunities. Going back to behaviors, I, I, yeah. I love it. I, I, can see, I can see where the, uh, <laughs> the expertise truly lies. And you're very intelligent. I don't know what the IQ is, uh, but we kind of balance the, the IQ and the EQ, right? So right. we think about this, and there's a, a lot of different advice that you've given over the years and that you've received. Uh, but whenever we think about emotional intelligence, right, super huge piece of anything that we do in the workplace, especially in our HR lives, right, big, big uh, part of the audience on P4. But tell us about a person that has a really high EQ and maybe an example of, uh, you know, whenever they put it into practice. Well, this is not something you would know, but my friend Cynthia, the readers won't, the listeners won't know about my friend Cynthia within Henry. Uh, she has one of the highest emotional uh, intelligences that I've ever met. And the reason is that I have a little bit of a bias about emotional intelligence as well. Cynthia is a dancer and a minister. And artists in general have higher EQ because they are more in touch with their body. So EQ, emotions, I have always believed, reside in the body. So we use expressions like, my heart aches, or my stomach's churning, or he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> we, we use these expressions that actually manifest these physical descriptions. We run them up to our head and our brain says, oh, that anxiety, that, that feeling in your chest, that's anxiety. And the feeling in your stomach is regret. Uh, and the feeling in your butt is anger. Uh, and so we label it at that point. And so people who are more in touch with their bodies and understand the messages their bodies are saying are higher in EQ. Now, everybody has that capacity. And you hear people in business say, um, 
You know, I got a gut feeling about that, Pete. I, th- I think that's going to be a good move. Now, are we going to be data-driven or are we going to be feeling-driven? Most of these people would say, I'll never make a feeling-based decision, and they do because they have that feeling in that gut. People with good emotional intelligence say that's what that feeling means. It means that the risk is worth the, the potential reward we have. And that's why I think people, the, the opportunity for people to strengthen their emotional intelligence is to really do more work around mindfulness, meditation, learning about your body, uh, doing flexibility and strengthening exercises as opposed to just cardio exercises, just kind of paying attention to what the messages uh, from our body are saying to us. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about people with EQ2 is, is one of the real challenges about it is that they often know what is happening before it happens because they're so attuned to the environment. And this is part of what it is with Cynthia. She ran a nonprofit for for 30 years and, and recently came to the conclusion that it was time for her to move on and to bring on a younger generation of people to lead it. And so she was intentional and purposeful in recruiting over the past six or seven or eight years, this next generation of leaders. And so when she was ready to lead the organization and move on to other artistry that she wanted to do, uh, the organization was prepared because she had this vision, this sense, this EQ seven or eight or 10 years ago, that it was time for her to move on and to bring in and groom the next generation. I think people who have that recognition and awareness early in the, early in the career is better. Uh, Any time in the career is good. Uh, and some people are just better at it out of the box than others. Uh, and it can be developed and improved. Wow. All right. So shout out to Cynthia. Uh, Richard, yeah. I wonder what they're uh, saying whenever we say break a leg, huh? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Putting that piece, that piece into it. All right. So now we're going to ask two kind of quick fire questions as we start yeah. to wrap things up here. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a reader. You're always recommending some books to me. Uh, what are you reading? What do you recommend? Um, and if you have a couple of options, I'll let a couple slide today for you. Okay. Well, of course, you know, strategy-driven leadership and the resilience advantage. My book on resilience is certainly good. Uh, you know, I'm reading a couple of uh, mindfulness and uh, meditation books. Uh, my my um, uh, my meditation is Tara Brock, uh, Tara Brock, and uh, you can find her online. And so this is a meditation book, and also uh, Pima Chodron also is a wonderful author. Uh, again, uh, a Zen master, a teacher. I find these to be very you know settling and and thought provoking. Uh, really allow me to do my mindfulness, which I try to do every day, I do do every day, uh, to help build and strengthen that muscle. Um, I, I like reading poetry. So I brought a couple of books, Mary Oliver's book and Maya Angelou's book. And, and the key to poetry is not to read it, not to read it, but to say it. People read poetry. I think that's a mistake. I think what you want to do is say, you want to recite the poem. It gives you the, the pace and really makes the words come alive. So less is more in poetry. I love historical fiction. I love, I, I've really been into Eric Larson the last several years. This is a book about Winston Churchill and the bombing of London uh, during World War II. Just an amazing, splendid are the Brits, vile are the Nazis, understandably. Uh, so great book. And Larson um, has written other books about the sinking of the Lusitania, uh, and some other great, I just historical fiction I love, although it's not really historical, but uh, not really fiction, but it is historical. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention my wife's books. So Sheila Collins, my co-author, wrote this book, Warrior Mother, 
you know, uh, part of my work in resilience, Pete, I think, as you know, uh, is that we lost two adult children. Our youngest son died of AIDS when he was 31. And then five years later, our daughter, who had three children, died of aggressive breast cancer. This is uh, the story of that, that Sheila put together, her journey with the kids. And then uh, a revision of her book, Still Point, uh, which is, a, uh, as you can see, a self-care playbook for caregivers to find ease and time to breathe and reclaim joy. So this is a book for caregivers. And she had somebody the other day tell her that this book, they have this book on their desk and they're using it all the time. She's working with, she works with Alzheimer's patients. Uh, so that's that book. And Sheila's working on a new book right now for 2023 called The Art of Grieving. So she's become a grief advocate. And this is a book talking about how the arts can positively impact grief. And it was interesting because Unfortunately, a friend of mine's husband passed away recently. And when I went to the funeral, I was really struck by how artful the funeral service was. Pictures of the family floated above, projected uh, on the walls of the church. This was East Liberty. Um, the, the woman who sang a cappella was magnificent. Uh, the people who shared the eulogies and their stories were, were filled with joy and love uh, for this man. Uh, and so really the service, and I think all uh, funerals are really, really an, an art opportunity. And I think that's where art comes into grief. So that's a little bit off topic, but nothing wrong with plugging the wife, right? Wow. Good, good for you. You started off this conversation with, you know, talking about family first and spoiling the grandkids and spoiling your kids and spoiling your wife there as well. So, you know, Richard, thanks for all of your time today. Uh, Liz, we're going to have to remember in future episodes to talk about any uh, mindfulness or meditations, and maybe there's any desk desk toys that go along with that as well uh, that, that people have. So those will be some of the hot button questions in the future. You are leaving your imprint on the P4 podcast, my friend. Nice, nice Thank work. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Richard, as I think back to some of the notes and the points that we discussed today, it all kind of falls down to the behavioral breadcrumbs of business. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and from the physical aspects of emotional intelligence and, you know, the strengths with Gallup, uh, you know, our attitudes and our biases, you know, for leadership through DEI, engagement of our people, overall culture, uh, the poetry piece is interesting, not just reading it, but speaking it and how all of that drives our overall strategy. So, you know, thank you very much for your time today on behalf of you know, P4 and the entire PHRA network. We appreciate your time, your insights, and look forward to seeing you at an upcoming event, uh, maybe the HR Academy very soon in the future. That'll be great. Pete, thank you so much for having me on today. And Liz and the team at PHRA, you guys, you guys rock. Uh, and it, it's, it's a real honor to be associated with you and to support uh, your important work in the HR community here in the region. So thanks, you guys. People do matter. And at the end of the day, we cannot get any work done if we don't have the right people in place. Are your people connected? Latitude is the one-stop shop people connection software platform. Our software workshops and programming facilitate new employee onboarding, manager one-on-ones, stay interviews, mentorship programs, and peer networking to increase retention, engagement, satisfaction, productivity, profitability, and happiness. Imagine a technology that intersects your calendar with LinkedIn, Zoom, Google Docs, and your CRM. Contact Latitude today to schedule a conversation.
The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you for